it's time for musical theater the good the bad and the ugly hi guys and welcome to this week's podcast i'm taylor i'm jen and this week amanda is not with us but we have someone else in her place our very first guest Say hello. Hello, I'm Jalen Campbell. <laughs> now, as our very first guest, I have a couple questions for you here so our audience can actually learn who you are and get to know you before you throw a bunch of opinions in their face. Okay, just know I don't know myself. I've failed my own class like 27 times, so. Good to know. All right. So, first question. And I will tell the audience right now, he is not an actor. He was not a musical theater major or theater major with us in school. But with those uh, facts put out there, how did you get into musical theater or theater in general? What was your first experience with it that has led you here to be on this podcast with us today? (laughs) Well, if we're looking... My first experience with musical theater was actually second grade with a production of Stone Soup. <laughs> so, who'd you play? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. I just, I was just background ensemble. My only line, independent line in the show was salt and pepper makes it best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Was that your last show of ever? I, well, if they're not, well, choir doesn't count as musical, so I can't really go with anything with choir. But yes, that was the first and only thing I was ever in. Cool. And then it probably is going to have to do with that show then, but it could be your favorite watch, your favorite done yourself, your favorite scene on Broadway. What is your favorite theater fail of all time in honor of not last week's episode, but the week before's episode? And it could also be like a show that Taylor and I were in, in college. Exactly. Yeah, well, the explosiveness of Big Love was a very, very, very (laughs) funny thing. I mean, so many fails that you guys have told me, but I thought thought it was a wonderful production. I'm surprised nothing slapped me in the face and as I was sitting front row. Because I think you guys you did not listen to the fails episode. One thing I will say is just tomatoes. Tomatoes and jello is all that needs to be said about that. And our last final question before we dive into today's topic is if you were stranded on a desert island who knows for how long, maybe for the rest of your life, and could only listen to five musicals, what would those five musicals be? You can only listen, watch, sing, be entertained by those five musicals. 1776. Mm -hmm. I will say Phantom of the Opera. Hmm. Les Mis. Let's see. I will get... I will give a small concession to to yield Hamilton and hmm, the producers. Producers, I like that one. Yeah, I was gonna say you need something happier. That island's. Been I know all of those were like so historical and sad. 
Hey, hey, seventeen seventy six was not sad. That was actually a good. That was actually good. No, it's a good one. It's just the rest of them were so sad. Yeah, I literally brought uh, SpongeBob SquarePants to my island so I could have some joy. I I think I brought Anastasia for joy because of Vlad. Yes. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> All right, on that note, we're yeah, going to... On that note, today's topic is a musical that he didn't actually mention, but it is one called Hairspray. Hairspray! Hairspray is one of my favorite musicals of all time, a musical yeah. I actually brought to my deserted island. And before we pop I into it too. all and talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the musical, movie, and live ad live TV adaptation. I am going to give us a little history lesson. Woo! History! Huzzah! Huzzah! <laughs> so the musical opened in Seattle in 2002 and then made its way to Broadway in 2003. The musical was based on an 80s film of the same name. That 80s film creeps me the hell out for some reason. I couldn't tell you why. It's such... It's so creepy. If anyone I, wa- I watched trailer. 10 minutes of it. It was horrible. Well, it wasn't horrible. It was just very weird. It was just, I don't know, the way they produced it and created it. Without the music portion, it's a little creepy. Yeah, a little bit. But Hairspray won eight Tonys, including Best Musical. In 2007, the film adaptation was released, and it broke the record for biggest opening weekend for a musical. Until they were overdone, like, before the record was broken again, in July of 2008, when Mamma Mia beat it. And then later, when High School Musical 3 came out in theaters and beat the record. (laughs) Such a weird thing to beat the record. (laughs) I know. High School Musical beat out Hairspray the movie and Mamma Mia the movie. And I can't say anything about that because I saw it in theaters. I saw it in theaters as well. Who would like to start with something good about the movie, musical, or Broadway production? Jen, and it's not the good that you talked to me about. I thought of something else. Um, I really love the dancing in Hairspray. I love it. They're talented. They can do all the dancing that they want and not look like a fool. Um, Yeah. I mean, Hairspray is kind of known. When you think of Hairspray, you think dance. (laughs) Definitely. I, I don't know. I just, I, in the productions that I've seen of it, I've always noticed that the dancing is top notch and everyone is incredible. Exactly. I've always loved the dancing because it's really good dancing without being overly complicated. Yeah. So exactly. if I wanted to watch the movie, and as anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows, I can't dance. Jen can't dance. And if Amanda was here, she'd say she can't dance. I am taking dance lessons next year, though. (laughs) So maybe I'll get better. Maybe. Maybe Jen can show us a move or two. (laughs) But it is very good dancing at a simpler level that, to an extent, I can try while watching the movie without looking like a hippo. Have either of you, like, seen the musical version of it? I've seen it on Broadway. Um, cause I saw it at a high school, um, and they, there's different styles of dance too, which I really, really enjoy. It's not just like run of the mill theater. It's like, Hey, let's throw in a tango in the middle of a dance. 
in the middle of a song. It's just like, okay, like, Edna and Wilbur are suddenly tangling yeah, in the middle tangle. of a song. There's, there's the, um, twist the weird the mashed potato. and Twist, mashed potato. There's the pony. More creative than other musicals that just do very standard Broadway type, even if the Broadway type is more massive and big and out there than what they yeah. do, but they do something on a more realistic level for everyone watching it. And that actually intrigued me tremendously. Mm-hmm. What I've always liked about this show is the concept of it. It doesn't just talk about race, but it also brings up the fact that everyone can be on the outskirts. And yes, in that time, there was race issues with African Americans, but Tracy's also having issues being seen because of her weight. Fat phobia. Fat phobic. Same with her mom. And there could even be other things going on with her mom because her mom's always played by a guy. So all interpretation there. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the story in college when our professor had no idea that Edna was played by a guy. I don't remember that. Who said that? Explain. Um, So some of this might have to be bleeped out because I'm going to actually name the class. Go right ahead. When we were in the musical class, Taylor, I think it was... Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to say what... Yeah, senior year, um, which I guess is... I guess lots of colleges have them, so you don't have to bleep this out. But we were, what? I guess we all of a sudden got on hairspray for some reason. Um, Because we were talking about men who play women in shows. And Taylor and I looked at each other and we were like, oh, Edna's the big one. Uh, Along with others, of course. But Edna is the one one you think of. And she looks at us and she goes... Edna's not played by a guy. <laughs> I was like, what? Yes, she is. <laughs> Has I was she like, ever, like, maybe not in the movie. You, no. could, you may miss that, but Harvey uh, Fierstein, whatever the heck his name is. Harvey Fierstein, yep. Yeah. He, no offense to him, but he's obviously a dude. In he, he has some original five production. o'clock shadow. In that in that musical, I, I love him. This is no offense to him. He has a very distinct voice. Just listen to his voice. One of my theater friends, who was a guy, played Edna in their high school's production of it. Like, <laughs> that's just, it's just, it's just um, how, she was like, oh, I had no idea. So, I'm sorry to, like, say that story, but it's so weird No, to me. no, that director, that teacher, not director. Like, I don't know what version she's been watching of that. But <laughs> no idea. But that's what, um... I love about it. It's one of my favorite musicals of all time. I've always said my dream cast for the show (laughs) is me playing Penny, Jen playing Tracy, and then Amanda playing Amber. But I don't think that's ever going to happen in my life. But I would love. But yeah, no, that would be amazing. What else do I really like about it? Um, The music's good, too. I love the music. The music's my favorite. it has, it's very happy and dancey and just normal pop without, with still being in a Broadway style without ah! being so Broadway. My Zoom, my Zoom closed, I'm sorry. Oh boy. <laughs> without being so Broadway that it's hard for your average person to listen to unless they understand classic theater. But then the music can also be very serious and slow and emotional when you get down to the second half of the musical with everything 
going on with the race and Motor Mouth Maybell and all that. So with that being said, Jalen, you haven't said anything yet. Do you have anything you would like to mention before we move on? I will put my services to the test, as they say. So what I liked about Hairspray was, one, the music, like, the music is, it's good, and it's, like, there's moments I was like, yeah, I can get to the, get to the room of it. In terms of the characters, my favorite is, Wil- is um, Wilbur. Wilbur is my, whether it's Christopher Walken or Martin Short, I'm like, so good. this guy. There's, like, if I had to be casted, I would be, I would want to be that guy or make Brent that guy. Because <laughs> seriously. That would be awesome. <laughs> I would love him to play that role. And, and that's, that's one role he was born for. <laughs> and it does, and it's topic of race, it does a, Good job. I give it a B. Yeah, I give it a B on the honest description of race. Yeah. Like there's some elements I'll fill you in on about. Well, do you want to go into them? Because you mentioned what you liked. Both of us mentioned what we liked. So that does move on to the bad and then maybe even the ugly. And then later on, we can go into what a realistic casting of the show we think is acceptable and all the history behind that. Jalen, since you went last, do you want to go first this time? Eh, I'd say I can, I can let you guys do okay, your stuff so first. One of the things I have as a bad doesn't have to do with the race, but it has to do with the concept of Edna being played by a man. And that is in the movie adaptation now, I love John Travolta. Uh, you can't go wrong with John Travolta. But so good. Harvey, who plays him in the live TD adaptation, live TV adaptation, and was the original on Broadway, he's obviously a dude. No, I don't know if that sounds bad. No offense to him, but he's obviously a guy in drag. All they do is put a dress on him, put, like, some eyeshadow and some lipstick. They don't put anything else on him. His voice is very raspy and very unique. But in the movie, they put John Travolta... In padding, which is, I guess, understandable. Most drag queens nowadays wear some sort of padding and try to change themselves into a woman. But they put padding, breast, uh, fake breasts, face prosthetics, and almost everything you can physically put on a human to turn him into a woman, making it for some people who don't understand, probably like our professor, lose the perspective of this character actually being a man in drag which was the original point. So the audience had to make their own interpretation. Is this character actually a woman and just being fat shamed? Or is this character actually a man in drag? Or transgender? Or anything of that concept? Which for the time period was actually very uh, progressive to put into a 2002 or 2000, yeah, no, 2002 Broadway production that I feel was lost in the movie. As much as I love John Travolta, and yeah. he does such a good job of playing that role, I think they could have taken his prosthetics back a little bit. I can see why they did it on Broadway, because historically, you know, men have been betraying women since the time of Shakespeare, so that's something that Broadway and or theater people are more used to, So they can, so for them it's like, yeah, but for movie productions, you're, if you're trying to appeal to a wider degree of audiences, 
there are going to be people who are who if they saw John Travolta in drag or like in the same way that it's done on Broadway that they would be more hesitant about the idea so they'll be in which case they'd be like let's not watch that movie that movie that's like uh -uh, not linking to my political beliefs that would be one people that'll be I think an idea not an idea but an issue that must have came up with came up in the creation of the film because at least they still used the guy if they used a woman I would have I would have been so mad in my production, it was played by a see, woman. Now, see, that, that's bad. <laughs> but I mean, going off of that, um, <laughs> I have two points. I'll say one. Um, I was in a production that was an all-white version of Hairspray. <laughs> it was really bad. We changed everything. See, now that's um, bad. I'm okay with it, all, to an extent, yeah. at one point, okay with all white cast if they don't change anything. But, like, they they cut out Mr. Turnblad. Um, it was dance-off day. I'm not going to say the other one because I am white. Um, and I feel weird saying the other one because um, that would be racist. But, um, yeah, it was really bad. I played Prudy. Uh, Penny's mom, which would have been a great role for me had we actually had the right people to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it turned, I mean, not that the ending of Hairspray is really all that good when it comes to race anyway, but it just made I don't know, it go worse. Go into detail about that. How do you because feel about the ending of the show then? I, <laughs> I feel like it's a white savior story. Which, if you don't know what that means, it means someone of Taylor and my race comes in and solves the problem for all African Americans or black people or people of color, anything like that. And it makes it seem like those minorities cannot solve the issues or whatever they face on their own. So that's a big issue I have with it. And Tracy, of course, is the white savior because she integrates everyone at the end. Yeah, I would. So, yeah. No, I we exactly can discuss that. The connection. I mean, I made that connection yeah. two years ago, three years ago, and I was like, Ooh. whoa. <laughs> I was like, I need to educate myself on this a little bit because this is a lot. That is very, um, very true. But, yeah. Tracy and like and I will say Tracy's a big dream role of mine, but you need to take into account that she is problematic and has issues. <laughs> and even though she's problematic and has issues, she's still a dream role of mine. For the time of the show, she is very progressive and doing what needs to be done. Yes, yeah, she and she's very helpful to them. She kind of takes over a little bit, but I feel like she's doing yeah, <laughs> a little she's bit. doing the right thing though. The way the a lot writers. Of it have written it as her taking over too much. I see how that can be a white savior story. Yeah. But the character of her in that time was actually a very progressive, helpful person. I don't know if you want to go off of that, Jen. Well, or if you want to say anything, Jen. Jalen can go next. <laughs> I mean, Jalen probably has more insight on this than we do. So, Ironically, Jen, your points about Tracy being the white savior, I made that connection right when I was seeing the movie for the first time last week. I'm like, I'm like, really? This trope again? Really? Like, in which case, like, 
that was eh, the cornerstone of my main issues of the film because I've been, of course, I did the research on the historical side of Hairspray. I was about to say Greece for some reason. No, we're the the <laughs> we discussed yeah. Greece already. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Greece, Hairspray. Wrong and... hairstyle, period. We've moved from Greece to Hairspray. But when researching Hairspray, I did look into like the um, presence of Black organization in Baltimore. And by the 50s and 60s, you did have the NAACP and the Urban League, you know, in Baltimore. They were also, so like, they were present. And it's not as if the whole idea of like challenging the system for African-American communities in that time period was new in Baltimore. So definitely I would have felt that one, they had access to civil rights groups. So if they wanted to protest, they could in a wider, in a more organized and more, I don't want to say elite, but a more organized sense. Although in looking at Baltimore history before the 50s and 60s or around the time you did have smaller like protests being organized by smaller institutions or like religious institutions. So you can say Motomouth's um, whole protest was a local, was just a small civilian sized thing that was transitioning out from that perspective to the NAACP's perspective. So in many ways, there should have been like, there was already resources for them to organize. They really didn't need Tracy to say, let's form a march. Yeah. In which case they're like, hmm, good idea. But, they, but I think like one of the reasons why I can say Tracy is integral into this whole perspective is one, she was the talk of the town in terms of popularity. Unfortunately, this is a side effect of not just this movie, but also in studying African-American, but also other protests and minorities. You're going to need to have roots of support from white Americans that are sympathetic to your cause. In that, in that case, Tracy was sympathetic. She was also well-known by the public. So if you have the most famous person in your in your city on board with your movement, then that gave a little bit of legitimacy towards that goal. So I can see why she was integral to the part. And at least her, and this is where I agree with Taylor that the Broadway production is better than the movie. The fact that she does get locked up is historically accurate as white Americans were either imprisoned, they lost status, or in extreme cases, even killed for standing side to side with exactly. African-Americans. I don't know if anyone knows, realized yeah. that. If, you see, if you've only seen the 2007 movie, not the Broadway show or the live TV adaptation, in the movie, Tracy, once she hits the uh, police officer and they say they, that she bludgeoned him and injured him, which is not true, she, in the movie, runs for the hills and just keeps running and ends up in Penny's basement. While Link is over at yep. her house singing to a photo and eating a chocolate bar. And in the actual production, she actually ends up in jail with Link singing at the bars of her jail cell. Because what she did got her in major yep. trouble while every other African American got locked up as well. In the movie as well. And they got let out because um, Mr. Turnblad paid for their bail, but 
in the movie, they almost, from now that I'm looking at it, put her on a pedestal because she was able to run away and easily get away and not get locked up like everyone else. Yes, there was supposed to be a mass search for her, but, like... White privilege! Yeah, there was supposed to be a mass search for her, but if there was really that big of a mass search, she would have been discovered. They literally change a line in Without Love from the movie and the musical, too. I don't know if either of you caught that, but at one point, Tracy says, let me out at the next toll when she's being shipped to Penny's house, and in the musical... Link's like, Tracy, I want to kiss you. And she says, Let then I can't wait for parole. Yeah, then I can't wait for parole. But it's this it's literally memory. just like, she's obviously a white savior in both. But at least in the musical, like Jalen said previously, you kind of understand why she's an integral part of it. Whereas in the movie, she just literally is white. Exactly. Do you think there's a way, Jalen, they could have rewritten it? Have. <gasps> I'm sorry, there's a cat. <laughs> uh, there's Hi, a way they could have rewritten it to have Tracy, I don't know if I want to say like their spokesperson to try and get it to uh, be more widely seen. Like, but like still an have them. uplifted voice, but while, still while they're at the center. Being, yeah, the center of it and being in charge of it and not her be the center of everything. I say let Motormouth along with other members of the community, suggest protesting. Seaweed and Inez. Correct. Let them suggest the idea of protesting and like forming a march and everything and trying to get, you know, more integrated stuff on the corny show and have them approach, I was about to say Casey. (laughs) Tracy. (laughs) Casey. I thought you were going to say Candy. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Close though. (laughs) approach Tracy about her joining their march. Yeah. If that was done first and that was laid out first, then we could say not the white savior, not the white savior trope. Not a white savior story. Just she is good friends with them and accepts them and is helping them out with their cause and not trying to save their souls. (laughs) So like an anti-racist would do in a sense, just like amplify the voices while still letting them lead the movement. In a sense, but not really. Mm, Tracy Ish. wouldn't be leading. Tracy wouldn't be leading it. She'll just be like, no, no. I mean, like amplifying and having like mm. seaweed and all of them staying at the center and leading. Yes, it. yes. yes. <laughs> she would be a part of it without being like the first person the in forefront. line at the very beginning, linking arms yeah. with everyone, walking down and being like. So it's always in the front, in the middle, like like with a shining light down. That crap is so performative. I'm sorry, like (laughs) white people at the forefront is performative. You don't, you don't go to the forefront. (laughs) I guess Tracy does in the movie, but like, (laughs) and what she does when she gets up to the front, she bludgeons a police officer. She barely tapped him with her sign. She literally was like. Uh, and then oh, ran away. Trevor, come like, back. Where is Trevor going? In short news, Trevor has the rest of my notes stuck to his tail. Oh my god. <laughs> Wait, did he take the part I need? No, no, I have the part I need. It's sticking oh, up and stay attached to his tail. So along with uh, that going on with Tracy, 
as an African-American Jalen, how do you feel they represented the few black characters that are in this? Because even with race being the main plot line or just progression in general, because Tracy is overweight and all that, nine, not 90, probably 85% of the characters that actually speak are white characters. Yeah. So how do you feel about that along with the representation of the very few people we actually do get to see. Because white characters are always very straight up easy to portray at that point because it was the majority of people everyone saw. So I think in terms of representation, I think give the movie credit for it is showing the segregation of Baltimore. Even though technically in 1956 they did desegregate, there's obviously that tension of overt racism and overt segregationism. So I think they nailed like the background of segregated Baltimore very much well in terms of 1962. And I do give them credit for how like members of the African-American community are still like in that sense of caution or, or in a sense fear of like breaking those social boundaries. This is 1962. So this is, so Martin, I did they ever say what month this was in? Like, no, it was during the school year, obviously. But yeah, during the school year. Yeah. So okay, the well, there was a dance at some point because she wanted Link to ask her out to like the spring fling. I want to say it was probably in March or April. Would be my guess. Okay, because there, because because uh, one of the key ringers of 1962 would have been the mention of you know Cuban Missile Crisis and Fidel Castro's name dropped once in the. In the entire musical so i'll just say early mid 62 there's the civil rights movement well civil rights movement has has already started but it's still in its early days you don't have the massive marches of mlk not yet happening so i can see why the younger african americans are still resistant at forming marches as the only thing they had is like this various sit-ins and well Baltimore and Maryland are still technically the South, so there's like that overarching fear. In my view, I mean, as you said, this is all like this is centered around white America at this time period. So, and as a majority of a southern town of a southern city, they're going to be more prominent than African Americans. I think the casting of it is fine. My only my only concern is. Again, similar to Jen's situation, we have schools that put on hairspray but don't really have diversity. And yeah, I'll get into that in a second. Yeah. There's a couple more things I'm going to say it's, about. It's kind of like Once on this Island. Why do Once on this Island or Hairspray or In the Heights or anything if you don't have a diverse True, I did do Once on this Island. Like, I was in it. But what we did was instead of doing uh, like the Islanders and the white people we did it by uh what's it called social poverty. class like it was the yeah class it was the low class people in poverty and the high rich royals that's how we tried yeah. to play it off i'm not even sure if it came out that way but back yeah. to the movie i don't know if i agreed with that before i even move on but back to the movie and the play or the musical i had one thing that i thought of and mentioned uh, like last week or something. And I was wondering, I'm wondering how you guys feel about, and anyone listening, 
feel about the ending of the movie because the Broadway show slash live action musical event, TV event, put it on very differently than the way the movie ends, as much shit as I gave the movie for Tracy running away. The Broadway show and live TV events have it end with them just being like, hey, nobody needs to win Miss Hairs uh, Miss Teenage Hairspray. We're all happy as long as everyone's on TV, yada yada. In the movie, Little Inez actually wins Miss Teenage Hairspray and becomes the first uh, black lead dancer on the te on the Corny Collins show, making the show forever officially integrated. Instead of it just kind of like being, oh, the show's now officially integrated. We don't care about all this. Everything's just kind of solved situation. I've always personally loved the movie ending better because of that. Even though the movie kind of does put Tracy on a high platform, they redeem themselves by doing it like that. Because in the Broadway musical, Tracy does win. But she rejects it for everything going on. Yeah. Um, I would have liked the musical better had they, like, if they switched the endings, like, had the musical version end the movie and had the movie version end, like, the. Like the, you know what I'm trying to say. Movie ending musical. Musical ending movie. That's my point. Yeah, if <laughs> we of, had the musical, I feel like, the Broadway musical, and the movie yeah. combined, we would yeah. get the best version of the show. Because, like, Tracy also makes a comment at the end, which I don't know if either of you caught. She says, I'm rejecting it so I can go to college to study music and Rachel, like, uh, injustice or equality yes. or whatever. I forgot about that. Which... I like, but I don't think it should have been added necessarily because that's putting exactly. her on what a that higher pedestal. Am what is that saying about Amber? Is Amber like a complete idiot or something? It's literally, it's it literally just like, like there's so, like hairspray has so many issues. If I could play Tracy right now, I would, but she's so freaking problematic. <laughs> It's, it's so bad. Show, everything when you look deep down it's, has stuff it, wrong. Like, so. literally, like I just I feel like the ending of Hairspray is bad, <laughs> no matter which way you splice it. But I enjoy the fact that I like the ending of the movie. I don't yeah. think that that's bad. It's not like I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy the ending of the musical. I think the ending of the musical is so <laughs> stupid. Yes. It's dumb. Like, what about you? <laughs> and I'm white, so. <laughs> okay, what about Jalen, who's not? How do you? What think? about Jalen, who's not? I know that sounds a little weird <laughs> to say. That sounds really that sounds a weird audience, but I'm trying to get a different perspective here on the same question. So I liked, I liked the movie's ending. Give Little Inez mm -hmm. a victory. She wanted to be like she wanted to be part of the show. And if you're going to practice in integrationalism, practice what you preach. They gave her the crown to show that's an integrated, that's more integrated. That's the best way to do it. Well, the only reason why I kind of fault with Tracy wanting to go to college for, you know, music and racial and racial justice. I'm like, my mind, I'm like, girl, you don't even pay attention in history, let alone your other classes. How are you supposed to get into college? To True. Do stuff? That brings me to the next thing I was mentioning this morning. That weirds me out tremendously. I have done no research on it, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. 
but this weirds me out tremendously, especially as someone who has dyslexia and learning differences and has been in learning differences classes. Nowadays, we're waiting with beta breath. <laughs> nowadays, learning differences classes people with dyslexia. <laughs> Special ed is people with Down syndrome and stuff like that. Then there's remedial classes for people who aren't as far off as either of those. And in at least the live TD adaptation, I'm not actually sure if this is done in the Broadway production, but Rosie O'Donnell, who's playing the gym teacher at one point, when Tracy's gone to detention a couple times, actually says she's putting her in special ed, which is apparently where all the African-American students are as well. Am I wrong? What is special Is there anyone out there that knows what special ed exactly was at that time period? Was she really getting sent to, like, no classes? I know what special yeah, ed is like, now, because I was she, in were special ed. all African-Americans but... and, tr- and people that didn't follow the rules in the same classes as all the kids with Down syndrome, not learning as much as someone like them could, even though Seaweed is av- obviously said he's extremely smart, or kids with dyslexia not getting the right stuff, and only evil. I can answer that question, as I've done some research on that. Okay, good. We've, we have so, a historian. Within the 60s, there was a strong support and advocacy for, of family associations to develop classes for people with learning disabilities. So there were, by the time of 1962, there were three, the federal government passed three acts in relations to um, special education. They had the Captioned Films Act of 1958, the Training of Professional and Personal Act of 1959, which trains teachers to be adapted to teach special education, and the Teachers of the Deaf Act of 1961. So you had schools around this time, of course, offering special education to those with learning disabilities, but similar to the process of desegregation, this was, of course, one dependent upon state regulations and also even in the 1960s, there weren't that much of a grasp of what qualifies someone for special education and what's not. And well, as you saw with the gym teacher, it was often used as a way of punishment to get, you know, those same people who are constantly getting detention or any sort of action that would basically waste the time of, right, of like teachers and students just sent to an area where they can just, you know, not be a bother to the main student populace. populace. So technically, there was Is that accurate? So the fact that the gym teacher put her in special education is from historical research that you know of. Was that accurate or was that just something strange they wrote into the movie? I have to imagine, I have to put it as 50-50 because, well, again, a gym teacher, no less. And like, they don't like, gym teachers are more of an authoritative, you know, teachers. They're like, well, you're not getting... X, Y, and Z, so I'm going to put you over there where you don't screw over the actual, you know, student populace in that sort of sense. This is the South. They, any, anyone that just doesn't follow the rules, they'll, they'll just, like, isolate them, put them in another area, let them do their, what they please, but as long as they don't mess, up the, mess it up for everyone else, that was that. And also... She didn't even do that much. She literally just, like behived her hair and interrupted the teacher like twice. I mean, I don't know how many tardies or detentions she had, but like, well, I mean, at least with Tracy, she got, I wouldn't, they're not even a little German, they're like small misdemeanors. I mean, 
for the African-American students, like you came in late, you know, like obviously detention or you like you said something, well, against the lost cause revisionism, then they're like, so you're disrespecting Southern history. You're going to get detention. So, yeah, no, they were all in detention, according to the movie and musical. So, yeah, that's as much as I can give you on special education. Yeah, no, it's strange because Amber and Link aren't in school like 75% of the time and they're still living it up. Well, they're white. They're white privileged. Well, they're white and they're thin. So they have white privilege and, and they have thin privilege. Amber has social status. And pretty privilege. Exactly. That's the other show thing the show does teach us besides uh, white privilege. It shows what thin privilege can do to a per- person. And pretty privilege. Exactly. Pretty privilege is a thing. See, Tracy may be the center of it all, but at least she was still an outcast in her own rights because back then, pretty privilege and thin privilege was a huge thing as well, especially on TV. It was a big thing. So I love how the show did take both aspects of it, definitely showing something like that that not many other shows shows. We talked about in Greece, the only larger character in that show, literally... Her entire life and character development was food. Tracy is that trope, but she tries to become more of herself, even though that is what she looks like without trying to change herself. And that is something I have always highly appreciated of her, separate from the fact that she was trying to save all the African Americans. Back to the fact that she wanted to go to college. If she's in special ed, no college is letting her in. Especially in that day and age. I mean, yeah, I can't really give you an estimate on, like, the acceptance rate, but, I mean, if she pulls her act together, I mean... If she pulls the act together. She can, I mean, she can, as long as she comes to school, doesn't get distracted by Link, and blah, 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 and stays awake, she can, she, she can make it. I mean, She was obsessed with him with, two, like, almost a creepier level. Yeah. I mean, but that's the that's the sixties. Ah, welcome to the I'm sorry, I can't say welcome to the sixties of the straight face. Welcome to the sixties. Oh no. Oh, 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 oh. That's my favorite song. <laughs> yeah, what's your favorite song before we get into the bad and the ugly and the terrible cast well, of the show? I feel like we've already covered the bad and the ugly. Correct yeah, me. Before if I'm we wrong. switch over, what's your favorite song? I like he mentioned it. Um, I'm gonna go with my go-to audition song, Good Morning Baltimore. And also, Run and Tell That, because I love that song. And also, Without Love. I love, I like a lot of hair I love Without Love, just because I've always wanted to play Penny, and I love her, like, portion of that song. That's my favorite part to sing. Also, You Can't Stop the Beat. I love Without Love, and You Can't Stop the Beat. That's just a... Awesome dance party beat, and I love Edna's part of You Can't Stop the Beat, where she just comes out and breaks out at the song and dance, and she's like, everybody, look at me, the overweight drag mom. She sings about ham. <laughs> That's why I love it. See, things like that just make me love this musical, as many issues as we have with it. Jayla, what's your favorite song? Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know. I love Welcome to the Sixties only because, as a historian, I'm I know the Sixties are going to go from sugar to shit really quickly in 1963. <laughs> oh, they thought that was going to be another prosperous decade, but 
<laughs> you got. Oh, how do you feel about if you're so if you love Mr. Turnblad so much? How do you feel about his whole duet situation there with the tango? Yeah, it's lovely, and I again, I just, I just want to see, I just want to see Brendan Gwynn dance with that. <laughs> I mean, the only part I don't like about Wilbur's tango is he's literally doing it with Edna, but like a song or two before Velmo. Von Tessel was literally trying to steal him away from Edna. Thank but God he, he didn't. He's so loyal and trip. stupid that he didn't even know. <laughs> I know. <That's laughs> he so didn't even know. He didn't even realize. I it. can't even class that as like bad. That's like a good part of Hairspray. He he's a loyal it. husband. He's a good freaking man. Everyone should find someone in their life like Wilbur. See, I wonder. See, that's one thing I've always. That's why I hated the fact that uh, Edna was when Edna's portrayed as a woman or too much portrayed as a woman. Because I've sometimes take the interpretation, did he not realize it because he's not as attracted to women of her standards and women like Edna that are more manly or maybe are actually men? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what I've always loved about that concept. Is he just so innocent or is he in some form gay? But with that being said, that's for all your guys' interpretation, we are now going to move on to the second half of this, where we talk about casting, professional casting of this show. In this article I found that came out in 2020, they were saying things that for the uh, authors and creators of Hairspray, they know it has been performed for some time without black actors. The casting conundrum has been an issue that all of the authors of Hairspray have wrestled with for some time. In the past, they have said that you should look outside of your community to see if you can find other people to play these characters. But they have also allowed groups to cast the show as best as they could, as long as the words and the story were unaltered. To my production. Yes. Since a major part of Hairspray is about fighting against the idea that someone could not be on a show because of their race, it seemed wrong that Hairspray would deny someone the chance to be in the show because of their race. This was all written out into a small little paragraph or about a page that schools and community theaters could put into their programs so they could do the show with whatever kind of cast they wanted. So it could actually be performed in their community, and the authors would say, at least the story was getting out, even if they could not portray it 100% correct. My high school, two years after I left, did the show, and I was up in arms about it. To this day, I'm not sure if I was actually ready to protest, or if I was just so mad that I wasn't actually in the show because I wanted to do it so badly. (laughs) Sorry to say. But then when I got to the show, not knowing any better, I read that... uh, thing in the program and it actually made me feel better about what was going on even though I'm not actually sure if it should have but then on to the next note of history before you guys say anything as of 2020 the creators said producers are required to cast to cast the show as to accurately reflect the characters as we wrote them, and that the cast can no longer be all white or what they were not written as. 
So as of 2021, any white casts are unacceptable, and those shows will mm -hmm. be terminated. Mm -hmm. As they should. With that being said, in the past, that has not happened. Hairspray has been performed all over the world. I think the cat actually took what I was going to read right now. Oh, Trevor. <laughs> but Hairspray has been performed all over the world. In Japan, they did an all-white version of the cast, where the only black character was a half-Japanese, half-black woman playing Motormouth Maybell. And then the worst thing I have ever heard and was stated in this article to show why it was so important that they changed this was that in South Korea, they did a semi-professional performance of Hairspray where every African-American character was actually done in blackface. Now, I've never heard of a high school or a community theater doing this show in blackface and going that far, but what is your guys' perspective on the concept of all of this? Um, do the show as written. Do it as written. Bottom line. Bottom line. Um, I saw something on an audition post where a girl wanted to audition, I think, for Motomouth Maybell, but she was Taylor of our race. Um, and people were like, don't do it. Like, that's for black people. Like, don't take that away. And she was like, oh, also, they're talking about using darker foundation on white people. And they were like, ah, really don't do it now. That's blackface. And that's actually against what the paragraph says. Because technically, as long as the message is still there, it's a-okay. But if you put someone like us two in blackface, the message is not there, and it's also racist. Um, if you don't have the people to do the show, you either look for outside talent or you get a different show. My church, exactly. my church was going to do least, Once on like, This Island, and we decided not to, and we did Schoolhouse Rock because we are a majority white church. And though... Exactly. Even with that paragraph going in programs, the authors and creators never no. wanted blackface. Because never. of but caricatures. I mean, on, musicals decided. in and of itself mm -hmm. derive from racist culture because of minstrel shows. But True. we shouldn't be having blackface in 2021. We shouldn't even be having racism in 2021. We shouldn't be having any ism or phobia in 21. Except snake phobias. Snake phobias. Yes, snake phobia is fine. I'm fine with people who are scared of snakes. <laughs> I'm scared of snakes. South Korea, as much as I love K-pop, think before you put on a musical. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, there's not much black people in South, in South Korea. Well, then they could have choose something else. Or they could have yeah, at least yeah. done it like Japan and kept everyone white. Or they could have done a different show. They they could have done yeah. like Greece, where the majority is white anyway. My brain went to Miss Saigon, but I think I'm being racist um, by saying that. Do you know the only character you and I can play, Taylor? Gigi, the white girlfriend. The rest are <laughs> Pacific Islander. That's racist. Yeah, so I screwed up there too. South Korea just put on Greece. There you go. There you go. Yes. Okay, Jalen, your opinion? In preparing for this, I actually looked up the um, scripts to um, 
Hairspray Junior, which I think is what they use for. Yeah, all high schools, high school maybe production. not all community theaters, but all high schools will use Hairspray Junior. So I looked up to see how many times, you know, the special day of the corny show is mentioned. And it's mentioned in four pages. And I'm going to say, if you're mentioning that, if you're going to portray the hardships of segregation along with the process of integration, black a black cast is needed for those productions. I like so I agree that like the characters need to be implemented in implemented as how they were as how they were written. Like for this topic of segregation and integration, I mean, especially if it's being portrayed in high schools, it needs to have that you know, the Black cast in order to show, yeah, this is because high school is also like the time where you learn about racisms or about the acts of segregation, genocide, and other consequences of racism. You need people of color to be in, in Greece. See where you go. Oh, the oh, West Side yeah, Story yeah. I was thinking yeah. of, like the first, like, Greece, like, I think that's the 70s or that's late 60s, but either way. Like for Hairspray, you need to have an ensemble of African-Americans to form the basis of Motor Mouse, you know, protest, but also of the Black community in Baltimore. At least look outside your community and get a couple people. Because as I stated earlier, even though that is the main message of the show, 85 to 90% of the cast is white. You can go your town over, grab a seaweed, a motor mouth. An Inez. A dynamite. Inez. And like two, yeah, and like three ensemble members to so fill out the dynamites and at least fake it. And yeah. At least have like eight people. Yeah. You just need three girls, a little Inez, a motor mouth, and a seaweed, and you can at least do it to make your heart content. Yes, that's not always possible, but there are enough other shows out there where you don't have to put it on. And that makes me upset because I always really, 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 really badly wanted to be in this show. And I got that's why one reason I got really mad when my school did it. But I understood that I could never be in it for these specific reasons. I had literally one black kid in my entire town. Yes, he was part of the theater program, but he was an actor, not a singer. And we would still need other females to put on the show correctly. So I accepted that at a young age. Yep. I would say I have a little bit more than eight, like, because you need to have seaweed and his, you know, and his, you know, his crew. So I'm giving them the benefit of when the I, doubt. Yeah. When yeah. I saw it opinion, at the high school, they had like 15 to 20 black kids in the production, which I think is the bare minimum. But it was, I'm, I'm going to say the town. You can bleep it out. Um, this was also in Milton. So Milton is a predominantly white town. Mm. It was a great production, though. They at least had the bare minimum of 15 to 20 black, black people. So. Yeah, I was saying, like, at least get those eight. Because when my high school did it, I don't even think we had 20 people mm. in the entire production. So yeah. there are schools that pull it off just I mean, doing yeah. the named characters in the actual yeah. script. When, so I'm saying, yeah. please pick a different show. But if you really, if you really desire to do it, at least do the bare minimum and get the named characters to play their part as the right 
race. Taylor, bleep this. I'm about to say the name of the theater. Um, what is now the theater, um, put this on. It was Fiddlehead. Um, we did not even have a little Inez. We didn't. We had no Inez. We had no Maybell. We had nothing. <laughs> and we somehow did hairspray. How am I not even hairspray anymore? That's just a Tracy Turnblad show. I told you. It was really no. bad. Um, now, I hope all of these names will be bleeped because these are very close to where I live. Now, does things like We Will Rock You and Mamma Mia and Peter Pan and not Hairspray unless they have the correct cast, which I really like. I think they're better with that now. They did. They learned a lesson. Yeah. Thank goodness. It's, yeah, even... It's one thing to tour with an all-white cast, which I still feel is very wrong, but to rewrite the show. That's, really that's, that's why it's not on my worse. acting resume. <laughs> like, boy. Anyway, Hairspray's problematic. I think I think we still yes, love it along anyway. along with that. <laughs> I, I still love it and will always love it. I just need it to be performed correctly and... I wish the movie and the musical could be put together to give us maybe a version where Tracy is not as much of a white savior. So with everything going on with the race portion of this show and now the directors, you know, the creators forbidding anyone who does not accurately portray, not portray, but accurately fit the bill for the character they are playing, the article I was reading also said that a children's theater in Dallas did not just use an all-white cast, but they cast Tracy as someone who was a thin girl and put her in pads, kind of like a fat suit. Was that wrong, or is there a line that you draw where, yes, a white person can never be a black person, but... A skinny white person could one day, if they shove food in their face enough, be a heavy person. So here's my thing, because I've done some research on this. Plus size people are very rarely portrayed in lead roles. They're very rarely in the front. They're very rarely cast. Within the last year, I've seen one show, two shows that have plus size people in their cast, who are on stage majority of the time. And that was Hades Town that I saw at a local professional theater. Maybe. And Mean Girls, which I also saw at a local, the same local professional theater. One was in the ensemble, but Hades Town Ensemble is in it like the entire time. And one played Danny DeVito Girl and oh. was in the front during Fearless. Skinny people have their chance. To be the Christine Dyes, the Elsas, the Annas, the <sighs> any role you could think of. The like the Heathers, the Sophies, the Campbells, whoever it is. People who are plus size do not get that same opportunity. Very frankly, they are not often seen in audition rooms. Same as black actors. Black actors do not get the same opportunities as white actors do. When was the last time you saw a black Disney princess on stage or a black Disney prince? I was going to say Princess and the Frog. And Princess and the Frog doesn't have a stage show. So. Does not have a stage show. And Tiana is an animal for 80% of the movie anyway. 
Mouth of Emma. And Naveen is an animal for even longer. What? Naveen is an animal for like 95% of the show. It's like those two things, they go hand in hand to me specifically. Like just like you need black people for the show, you need a fat actress to play Tracy or a fat female identifying actor to play Tracy. Yeah, like a bigger... Not a bigger, that, a like bigger a really, boned. A bigger boned, just person who kind of fits it a little more. But with, yeah, with that, I've always wondered. I agree with literally everything you were saying, but I've always wondered where exactly the line gets drawn. If you have a school that has black actors and white actors, and none of your black kids can sing whatsoever, mm. this you don't do the show. People can't sing. But what if if none of them? Thing, you still have to cast them as the black characters. But if you have one girl that is overweight in your theater who can like kind of sing, but there are about five or six girls that are five times better than her, do you put one of them in pads or do you give her the role no matter what just because of the way she looks? Pick a different show. Exactly. Just, just like I say, if you don't have enough black actors, you pick a different show. Pick, pick something easy. Do bring it on. Do Heathers. There's, there's enough for everyone there. Like, frankly, especially with the new Heathers rewrite, any one of the Heathers could be plus size. Any one of the Heathers could be black. Or any one of the characters could be black or plus size. Exactly. That's a rule that after talking about this, and doing research on this, I feel all high schools should go by and is something that they need to stop writing junior shows for things like this. All high schools, even if they have the requirements, not be allowed to do shows where people have to be portrayed in a very specific way. Race, weight, maybe something else that I can't think of. Unless, not even unless, but they should not be doing shows where it's so very specific. And that should be left for professional theaters who have the time to go out and search for these people and get people that can best portray these roles. And not high schools that have like maybe a theater department of 10 to 25 people and are just using what they have to give these kids an opportunity to have fun and show the skills that they own and have and love to put on. I agree with everything you just said. I don't know if Jalen has anything to add. I agree. Final note I did not mention is Edna should always be played by a man. That's the point. I mean, literally, like, I won't say the name of the theater. I feel like if I did, you're going to bleep it anyway. And it's about to come out of my mouth. I'll call it what it's called now, but it was so what did is they literally picked a show that they shouldn't have done. <laughs> like they had majority girl cast and like two or three boys. Like Link was literally played by a girl, um, which I don't find issue with girls playing boys. Like that's that's I the one line. That's that's the one line where I'm like, girls play boys, boys play girls. Like who cares? Yeah, but, the character's written as a boy or a girl, and you want to make them a boy or a girl, like, look like it, do the prosthetics, and that's your decision. 
Sometimes schools have to do but like not like, enough boys audition for theater. But like I literally think there was like one boy in the whole cast or like two boys. But like in that case do a girl heavy show that's majority white. Like Exactly. Like luckily Edna's not very uh, is not usually miscast. That is very rarely happens. Jen, you've experienced yeah. it, but it very rarely doesn't happen. And luckily, most of the time, if it's done by semi-professional theaters, they don't have the resources to do the John Travolta method. I mean, so I will say, drag. most professional productions, even very high-end community theater productions, like the theater that I'm a part of, like, if the theater that I'm a part of, which I'm sure you guys know, I'm doing the show edit right now. If we ever did Hairspray, which we probably won't because Canton's not a very (laughs) well-dispersed town is what I'll say. Um, It's white heavy. But if we ever did it, we would search for outside talent. We we got lucky with the fabulous Lipitones that someone who could play the lead character showed up. Sometimes we have to look for outside talent. And we were lucky... That someone who was good for that role showed up. But, like, if you can't do the show, look for outside talent. Don't do blackface. (sighs) Please. Please. Please don't be racist. Please don't do that. We beg you. No, but you can always. You can change things. What I've stated in the past is Hairspray is a big reason. Shows that there are certain things you can't change character-wise in casting wise in a show because the storyline is so heavily based on who the characters are race wise looks wise and everything of that nature Mm. if you're doing a show where the race gender or anything having to do with the character doesn't affect the script whatsoever you can do as you please we did american idiot in college and one of the male roles was turned into a female role making a lesbian couple in the show. I did a whole TV report on it for one of my classes. Which, she was, follows our podcast. We love you. And you were amazing. That was perfectly acceptable because there was nothing with the role having to do with the gender of the character. Yes, that now changes the audience perspective on the character a little bit. But it's not changing the way anyone in the script would treat that character the way the show is written. And like Like, Taylor said, our friend was not playing a guy. They literally changed the character Tunny to be a girl. Exactly. Because the person who originally played Tunny quit. But I feel like our friend who ended up getting that role should have been Tunny from the start. It's like shows like Dear Evan Hansen. Yes. You could do Dear Evelina Hansen. You could... Evan or Ivana, not Evelina. Evana. I don't know what's the name, but you could do. Evan could be black, white, Mexican, Asian, and it a girl, and it wouldn't look, make a difference to the script. That's my next point too. Is in Hairspray, there's not a lot of Pacific Islanders. Why? Why? Why aren't Asians cast either? <laughs> that's so weird, isn't it? True. The net, see, that's the thing. At least Hairspray has African Americans in it. No offense, because that does sound a little wrong. Because they had that does African sound food. very wrong. But Asians are nowhere. But it literally, like, someone commented that one of 
like the Tracy and their local community theater or professional production was Asian. And I was like, she totally could be Asian. Like easily as long as she's white, they don't say she doesn't, it, it, she could be a non-black person of color. Like that could be a thing. True. Jalen, do you have anything to say? To that? Are we going in the right direction there? Or? In relation to Asian Americans, Baltimore being on the East coast, most concentration of high Asian American, well, Communities are more or less on the West Coast, so it took a oh, while. Wow. And this is the 60s, so maybe yeah. give or take mid-60s, maybe late. You did have some small pockets of Asian communities in other cities. Baltimore, and for ones, it's not really high, wasn't really that high on it, like industry or other aspects that you would say in like, like um, Detroit, Chicago, or in certain cases, New York or Philadelphia. So like a small Asian community, but not that much as compared to like the big cities of that time. So just a small demographics less. Like, so to be historically accurate, you wouldn't have them in there, meaning the world just needs to write more shows that are nowadays could have Asian characters, like Evan could be Asian, and people just need to get better at casting more people. Yes, I guess the writers Thanks. wrote Evan as a white male, but he doesn't have to be. And that is just the main one I keep going back to. But it could be anything. Mean Girls. Any of those characters could be black, Asian. Except Katie. True. Because Katie, again, is the white savior of the story. True. And the point is, there's a whole joke, oh, Katie, why are you white if you're from Africa? But anyone else could be whatever race they... Literally, are. Regina George, like, two of the Regina Georges were black on Broadway. Bottom line of this whole episode, characters need to be portrayed accurately or be portrayed not in at all. any realm, in any form, and not just be the same thing every time we look at them. Yeah, for sure. Changing gender is a lot harder because certain shows are just written that way, but race, size, body image, those are things we can easily change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indubitably. And we we need to work on that. I would love to hear everyone listening. I'd love to hear your opinions on that. What shows you think should be done and should be more creative and out of the box with the way they cast people and what your dream casting for certain roles would be to kind of mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Answer the question here. Comment on our uh, Instagram, comment on our YouTube page if you are watching us on YouTube. If not, you should go check out our YouTube channel. Same name as our podcast, except this is the podcast at the end. And with all of that, we hope to see you back here next week. Where we take a dive into TV's newest event, Annie Live. Good night, y'all. Happy dreams. Musical theater. The good, the bad, and the ugly.